Hello, and welcome back to Black Summit's Market Commentary Podcast, where we explore current market dynamics and forces shaping global economic, geopolitical, and financial development. My name is Eleni, and this is Ethan. Welcome back. Last week, we talked about Joel's bundling and unbundling commentary, which discussed conglomerates, particularly in the advertising field. We also discussed the U.S. Senate passing the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act and how it affects America and China. Today, we will be discussing the Fed's decision to plan on tapering the markets, which caused the market to take a dip. But first, we'll bring on our special guest, Rachel Poole. Rachel Poole holds a master's in diplomacy and international commerce from the Patterson School at the University of Kentucky. And she received her B.A. in business in Spanish at Asbury University. Rachel brings in her research experience and great interest in geopolitics and geoeconomics towards riding out the weekly market updates and the day after and the era of transformation commentaries for Black Summit and the monthly geopolitical newsletter, The Crossroads. We will continue our discussion about the ongoing tensions between U.S. and China with Rachel as she gives us her insights from writing about the U.S. strengthening relationships with the EU to limit this emergence of China and this new Western-led alternative to the Belt and Road Initiative. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Why don't you give us a rundown on what you have been researching lately? Sure. Making headlines last week was the G7 summit hosted by the United Kingdom in Cornwall and President Biden's subsequent visits with European leaders as he spent the whole week traveling across Europe. Two big priorities for the Biden administration have been, one, to promote and engage in multilateral democratic initiatives, and two, to reaffirm and strengthen relations with our European allies, both of which were severely strained under the Trump administration. And these priorities have been set with the overall goal of countering China's rise and growing global influence. That's very interesting, Rachel. Do you have any examples of what kinds of things were accomplished at the various summits last week? Yes. So we discuss a couple of successes or initiatives in further detail in our geopolitical challenges and statecraft commentary that was sent out Thursday morning. First, the G7 leaders have agreed to the Build Back Better World Plan, which has been nicknamed the Green Belt and Road because it is being offered as an alternative to China's infamous Belt and Road Initiative. This new plan seeks to mobilize funding for low-carbon, green infrastructure projects around the world. And while the plan has received criticism for lack of detail, it is at least a step in the right direction, and it demonstrates a multilateral effort to prioritize climate change and climate funding, particularly for developing nations. The Green Belt and Road. I like that. We will have to keep in touch and see how that develops compared to the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out and to see how leaders can actually put the plan into action. President Biden has referred to the initiative as a, quote, democratic alternative to Chinese loans. And we know that these Chinese loans have been seen as a political tool used by China to spread their influence. And furthermore, they've been criticized by their lack of transparency and have arguably left many countries worse off. Okay, I like how it will be actively 
trying to protect smaller countries from being wrapped up in a potential debt trap? Yes, absolutely. The second successor initiative I wanted to mention was this new Trade and Technology Council that has been created by the U.S. and European Union. This new council aims specifically to promote cooperation on technology regulation and development so that Western nations can better compete with China and Russia on emerging technologies. As you all mentioned on last week's podcast, the U.S. Senate just passed the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act, which seeks to boost investment in technology on a domestic front. So in many ways, this Trade and Technology Council aims to do the same thing, but in a bilateral context between the U.S. and EU. In both of these new initiatives, the new council, as well as this G7 commitment to a new Green Belt and Road initiative, as it's being called, we see the U.S. and Europe come back into alignment on some important climate and trade issues. Yes, we will have to keep up with the production and implication of the bills to analyze their effects. Well, Rachel, thank you for being a guest on Market Commentary Podcast this week. We really appreciate you sitting down and educating us on what we should expect to arise from President Biden's trip across Europe. Have a great day, Rachel, and we hope to have you back as a guest soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you all for having me. I loved having Rachel as a guest on the podcast. Um, She has great insights and I love her interest in geopolitics. It really brings a great aspect to um, her perspective. So we want to end with talking about the current movements in the markets. It is no secret that the markets were down in the last few weeks. Many people are attributing this dip to the news about inflation. More specifically, the Federal Reserve recently revised its expectations for inflation. One whole percentage was a big jump and one that clearly spooked the markets, despite the fact that Fed Chairman Jerome Powell reassured investors that he still believes the price pressures are transitory and not permanent. Another change that the Fed announced was that they were planning to speed up the timeline on raising interest rates. Back in March, the Fed said there would be no rate increases until 2024 but now there could be two potential hikes in 2023. After hearing this news, the market dipped last week, but went right back up to where it was this week. Yes, as fast as the S&P 500 dipped, it popped right back up. This reaction shows how uneasy the market is. Black Summit's managing director, John Harlembacus, wrote in a commentary this week about our uneasiness with the current market and how we are handling it. Our nervousness stemmed from several key market metrics. As outlined in the commentary, several of the metrics included the lack of advancing stocks versus declining ones. The Russell 3000, an index that tracks the 3000 largest U.S. incorporated equity securities performance, shows a decline of stocks that are making new highs. Also, bearish sentiment is low, which, historically speaking, throws investors a caution sign. This cautionness and nervousness are attributable to two factors, the fear of inflation and the Fed's actions. One notable metric was the copper-gold ratio. Across millenniums and civilizations, gold has long been the base standard for holding value. It's arguably the best asset to have to hedge against inflation. As the purchasing power of the dollar declines, the value of gold holds steady. Copper, on the other hand, is used more for industrial purposes. 
cover as many applications across many industries, such as renewable energy systems, high-speed trains, and medical applications. Copper tends to be more volatile than gold and performs better during economic and geopolitical ease. More stability brings stronger foundations for industries to rise and build, requiring more of the use of copper. Therefore, the copper to gold ratio signifies how the market feels about the future in terms of inflation. Since the lockdowns starting late March of last year, the copper to gold ratio has increased to just under 50%. This could be an indication that we will see a rise in inflation. That's very interesting. We'll definitely have to keep an eye on the copper and gold ratio. There was a spotlight in the weekly market update that discussed how J.P. Morgan responded to higher expected inflation rates. CEO Jamie Dimon said, We have a lot of cash and capability, and we are going to be very patient because I think you have a very good chance inflation will be more than transitory. J.P. Morgan also believes the pandemic-era trade boom is coming to an end sooner than later. What do you think? I thought that story was interesting, and it perplexed me some. Why would the CEO of J.P. Morgan want to stockpile cash now if he fears inflation will be on the rise, especially if inflation puts pressure on the value of the dollar? After some digging, I found out Diamond was doing this to increase the number of loans J.P. Morgan Chase could give at higher interest rates. Why give the loan out for 3.2% when you can give it out for 5.2% a couple months later? With that, however, it assumes inflation will play a significant role in the markets going forward. It seems like stockpiling cash is quite the move right now, Um, but it's difficult to predict. As long as companies can maintain a strong growth of productivity, I think they will be able to prevail and survive the inflation scare. (laughs) Absolutely. I believe the movements of the markets and specific indicators will be a hot topic for at least the next few months, if not more. We will most definitely be keeping an eye on these important metrics as discussed and watching closely how the markets behave. This concludes the market commentary with Black Summit. To learn more or get in touch, visit our website, blacksummitfg.com, or our Facebook page, Black Summit Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. The views mentioned do not reflect the views or opinions of Black Summit Financial Group. Clients of Black Summit Financial Group may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. We do not recommend any securities or options mentioned, nor is this a research report or investment advice.